First Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're at today. Going to pick up right where we left off. Um, last week we were in chapter 10, so today we're in chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 17, talking about the Lord's Supper. And we'll be going all the way through verse uh, 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took a cup. And after supper, saying, the cup of the new, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If, one, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will, be for the judge, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for the cross of Jesus uh, that pays the penalty of our sin. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus that enables us to be righteous and to have a, a, a relationship with you to be children of the kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your resurrection, Jesus, that brings us through death, that brings us through the grave to the new heavens and the new earth. God, we celebrate these great realities, and we pray, Father, that with baptism, with the Lord's Supper, um, that we would, we would point to those and proclaim those and embrace those by faith. Father, please speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our church has two ordinances. Um, some people might use the word sacrament, and that's not a bad word at all. I don't mind if you use that word. It sometimes has connotations that would not be true of the, what we embrace. Um, but what the word I think we use is ordinances. Two ordinances in the church. The first one is baptism. Um, we just had a baptism of 5th Street just uh, last service. Drew Jones was baptized this morning. Pastor Chris baptized him. And um, baptism is a symbol, okay? When someone turns away from their sin and puts their faith in Christ, they are baptized, okay? They're baptized at the beginning of their salvation, and, and it is a symbol that they've been joined to Jesus Christ, okay? It is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And what we're saying through baptism is a person is saying, look, I've been joined to Jesus. I've been joined to his death. I've been joined to his burial. I've been joined to his resurrection. So therefore, I am joined to Christ. My life is his. The old me is dead. The new me has come. 
Okay, so baptism is an ordinance of the church. It is a symbol that describes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and our new life in Christ. Okay, now after baptism, a person begins in their Christian life to worship with the people of God. And in that worship, we partake of the Lord's Supper. That's one of the things that we do in worship. And that would be the second ordinance of the church. And in the Lord's Supper, uh, we follow in obedience to the Lord. Jesus himself in the book of, uh, actually all the Gospels, Matthew 25 was one I was going to pick, but all the Gospels uh, point to the fact that Jesus began this ordinance. What he did was, as his disciples gathered in the upper room uh, for the Passover supper, you ever notice how many suppers there are in the Bible? There are a lot, okay? Uh, You ever notice that? I mean, it began in the Garden of Eden with them eating the wrong thing, right? And it's going to end in heaven with what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that great? You know, hey, you, you Baptists, you're right on target with this whole eating thing. Uh, you got Passover supper, you got the feast, you got the Lord's Supper, uh, you got all, all these, these, these suppers in the Bible. But basically, um, the people of God gathered, the Jews gathered yearly, uh, annually to observe the Passover supper. And what that was, was they would look back to when God delivered e- Israel out of Egypt. And part of that deliverance was the last plague, which was when the death angel was going to come and he was going to destroy every firstborn of every Every household in Egypt, except for God's people who that night butchered a lamb and they ate of the Passover supper and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house so that the death angel passed over them as he came. Okay. And so they were observing that Jesus and the disciples were observing the Passover supper. And in the midst of that, Jesus picks up a piece of bread and he picks up the cup. And let's read, let's read what Paul says here. Verse 23. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Jesus began um, this ordinance that we are to follow in taking bread and taking wine or juice and, and in partaking of it ourselves, remembering and looking toward the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, here's a question that the church has been, um, there's been a controversy in the church forever about, or as long as the church has existed, really, is that what exactly happens in um, the elements, okay, in the bread and in the cup? Well, let me give you some uh, three different views, okay? What the Catholic Church will say is something called transubstantiation. What I would like for you to do is over lunch, try to use that in a sentence. Just, you know, as you're eating your pizza, something, you know, just look down at the, at your red, the red pizza and say, this reminds me of transubstantiation, you know. Um, but what transubstantiation means is that in the Catholic Church, they believe that as the priest comes forward and as he blesses or consecrates, as he prays over the elements, they believe that this actually becomes the flesh of Jesus and this actually becomes the blood of Jesus. And so they believe that the elements actually change into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, they believe that it has grace, that grace is given to the partaker. So as, as the worshipers partake of the elements, they, are, they, they believe that grace is given to them through the elements. Okay? Now, uh, in the Reformation, Martin Luther comes along and Martin Luther says, no, 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 that's, that's not right. That's not right. You, you got that wrong. And he um, began a view called consubstantiation. Okay? Consubstantiation. You got that one? 
And so what Luther said, Luther said, no, 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 the, the, the bread doesn't change, okay? And, and, and the juice of the wine doesn't change. It's still bread and it's still wine. But he said what happens is, is that the literal presence of Jesus comes in and with and under. Those were his exact words. In, with, and under the elements so that when the worshiper partakes, he is partaking of the literal presence of Jesus, but but. This is not really Jesus' flesh and it's not really Jesus' blood, but the presence of Jesus, the little presence of Jesus is within him, okay? Now, what everybody else, okay, so Baptists, Methodists, Nazarenes, Evangelicals, Protestants, everybody else uh, besides Lutherans and Catholics, what we believe is a symbolic view of the Lord's Supper. It really grieves me that we don't have a big word. And so I think what I'd like to do today is I'd like to make one up, okay? So Catholics are transubstantiation. Lutherans are consubstantiation. We are symbol substantiation. That's what we're going to be, okay? Um, I don't know that the others are words either, so why isn't mine just as good? So what we believe is this. We believe that these are the elements are symbols of Jesus' body and blood, okay? So that when, when we partake of them, we are spiritually embracing by faith the the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is really what we do in salvation, isn't we? Isn't it? I mean, in salvation, we, we, we embrace by faith the, the broken body, the shed blood, the crucified Jesus. We embrace him by faith. We put our trust in him. We embrace by faith that Jesus has joined us to himself, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Christian life is a life of faith and it's a life of symbol. And so to me, it makes very good sense that, that what Jesus intended here was a symbol to call our attention to the gospel again and again in our Christian life. Now, do I believe that there is a a spiritual presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper? I absolutely do. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says this. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Okay, so I perfectly believe that when we gather together in worship, that Jesus' presence is with us. And I, I, I specifically believe that when we come to the Lord's table and we partake of the body and the blood of the Lord, I believe that there is a, a, there is a special presence of Jesus Christ in that act. And so, yes. Yes, I believe Jesus' presence is with us, okay? So what exactly are we doing when we partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, Paul tells us in verse 26, let me, let me give you a couple things here. He says, first of all, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. Verse 26 says, as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is something incredibly healthy about you speaking the gospel, okay? There's something incredibly healthy about you proclaiming the gospel. Here's what I tell people. You need to be people who articulate the gospel, who talk about the gospel. Now, some of you are going to say, man, that, that just scares me to death, you know? I think about witnessing to my lost friends. I lock up. I fall down i convulse you know they take me to the hospital it's a horrible thing i can't do it pastor hey that's fine don't don't pick a lost person speak it to me could you handle just telling me the gospel you're saying you already know the gospel doesn't matter it's good for us to hear the gospel okay so speak it to your spouse to your kids to your neighbor to your Sunday school teacher to your small group leader talk about the gospel proclaim the gospel there is something healthy about that in romans chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 it says i'm not ashamed of the gospel this is paul speaking for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is incredibly healthy to proclaim the gospel. I have my kids tell me the gospel all the time. Um, you know, I, and here's one of the reasons. I, I don't want my kids to be 
Um, and, and I can't actually help this. It could happen anyway. But how, how many times have you heard testimonies like mine, okay, where I was in church for, for 18 years, okay, and I could tell you Bible stories. And then when I was 18, God opens my eyes. I mean, I, I am, I'm saved, radically saved. I turn away from my sin, radically different life. I see the world differently. And you know what people would ask me? Well, man, you were in church all those years, you know. What, didn't, didn't you understand the gospel? I really didn't understand the gospel. You know, I mean, I I knew I was supposed to be a good person. I knew Jesus was king. I knew he died on the cross, but I didn't really embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things I've tried to do with my kids is I want them to articulate the gospel. When your kids, when, when, when they go through our system of baptism, you know, you know what? They'll come to me two or three times and we'll go through the little book and I'll tell them, I'll ask them, I'll say, I want you to tell me the gospel. I want, I want to know that you can articulate that you are a sinner, that you're broken, that you're bent the wrong way and that that sin's going to keep you from God and that Jesus Christ. Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection is your only hope for your sins. You can't be a good enough person. You can't do all kinds of good deeds and expect God to be impressed with you. Your only hope is you clinging to the gospel, clinging to Jesus Christ's death for you on the cross, embracing him by faith, turning away from sins. That is our only hope. And so there's something powerful when we all gather together. And when we all gather together, and I get to every week, I get the privilege of coming up here and of preaching the gospel to you. But once a month, we'll do it again the first week in June. Once a month, you get to, we hand out to you the body, the symbolic body and blood of Jesus. And you know what you do? You proclaim the gospel, don't you? You do that to your neighbor. You know what you're doing? You're saying, neighbor, whoever's sitting by me, whoever's watching this, I believe that this is my salvation, not bread and and, and juice, but the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus. I am embracing Jesus Christ as my king, as my salvation, for my salvation. I am taking him in. It is my only hope for me to be connected to Jesus. And so when we take of the Lord's Supper, we are are embracing the gospel. We are proclaiming the gospel. And folks, I believe we are appropriating the gospel. There's something really uh, necessary about us Coming back daily, I believe, and reminding ourselves. Here's where I think we ought to get up each morning. And you got to get up each morning. And you got to stretch. Go have your coffee if you need it. Take your shower. But at some time in that span of getting up, I think what ought to be going through your mind is, I'm a sinner. I'm bent the wrong way. I'm inclined towards sin. And my only hope today is my dependence upon Jesus Christ who died for me, who rose again, and who will give me strength that I might be obedient to him. I think every day you ought to do that. You know, you know, here's the wrong view of Christianity. The wrong view of Christianity is that we start over here and, and, we, and we figure out who Jesus is and we put our faith in him and we're born again and we're baptized and, and, and then that's it. Then we go, we don't need the gospel anymore. Now we need to start, you know, thinking about, you know, other things and, and growing in other ways and knowing what the rest of the Bible says. No, you always live daily in view of the gospel. You always live daily in view of the cross. That's why we're baptized once, okay? And, and we take the Lord's Supper, how often? For the rest of our lives, right? Because we have a continual need to come back to, to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why John tells us to confess our sins. First John 1, 9. I was talking about this with a, uh, one, one of the guys in, in our church yesterday. We had breakfast together and we talked about 1 John 1. And we talked about how we have a definite need to confess our sins. Let let me tell you, 
If right now, if you can't remember the last time you confessed a sin, okay? So right now you're just thinking in your head, when's the last time you said it to the Lord, God, I blew it here. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. God, that, that was a wrong way to react. God, I, I should have said something when I didn't. God, I should not have been there. I should not have gone there. I should not. God, that was sin. And Lord, I embrace the, the cross of Jesus for my sins. I receive your forgiveness. I appropriate the God. If you can't remember the last time you've done that, one of two things is happening. Either Number one, you are just the most spiritual thing in all the world, okay? I mean, you're John the Baptist incarnate. You got a leather belt on, you ate locusts and wild honey this morning for breakfast, all right? And you're, I mean, you're just the greatest among everybody, okay? Or number two, number two, and this is probably the more probable answer, is that you are not appropriating the gospel. You're not, you're not open and aware to what God is doing in your life, Okay? And so we have a definite need for the gospel. So why do we take communion? We proclaim the the Lord's death. Number two, we we appropriate the gospel. Number three, we take it in as a symbolic act of saying, Jesus, you're everything that I need. John 6, 35. Jesus is talking to a crowd. He's just fed uh, the 5,000. And here's what he says to them. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What, what is Jesus saying? I am the bread of life. Come to me, and you won't, hungry anymore. you won't be hungry anymore. Come to me, you won't be thirsty anymore. You know what he's saying? He's saying, come to me for what you need. Do you, do you need Jesus today? Man, I need Jesus today. I tell you what, I will blow it without Jesus today. I, to, to be the guy that I need to be today, I need Jesus. And what Jesus is telling me is that you need to come to me. You need to come to me for your peace. You need to come to me for your security. You need to come to me for power. You need to come to me for strength. You need to come to me for self-control. You need to come to me for joy. You need to come to me for fulfillment. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm your feast, okay? And so whenever we partake of communion, here, here's what I always think about. I always think about... Man, as, as we're taking the, the bread, I'm always thinking about the gospel, my forgiveness of sins, my, 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 my righteousness in Christ. And I'm also thinking about, Jesus, you're everything that I need. You nourish my soul, Jesus. Man, I, I may think that I need a new vehicle. I may think that I need a new house. I may think that I need, you know, more friends or different friends or a different family or a different whatever. But what I really need is you, Jesus. You're going to be the one that satisfies my soul. And in communion, we we are saying that. We are saying that with a symbolic action. Jesus, you're the one that nourishes me. Well, our theme through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, has been what? The church is a mess, okay? Well, believe it or not, the Corinthians had completely messed up communion, okay? So bad... That Paul says a couple things here. He says, first of all, y'all just ought to go home and eat by yourselves, okay? If you're going to be this way. And number two, he says, this is a real serious thing. God's killing some of you. Okay? You guys have messed this up so bad that God's taking you some, some of you home because you are sinning so badly in this sense. I don't know about you guys. That perks my ears. Exactly what were they doing, you know? Nobody else? Nobody else wants to know that? I want to know that. I, what, what, what was happening here that God has taken some of these folks home because of the way that they are treating the Lord's Supper? Well, let, let's, let's unpack that, okay? Evidently, um, the church, first of all, in this time, time and age, usually had a meal with communion. Whenever you think about the early church, uh, don't think about what we have here, you know, a big corporate worship service, or we have three, you know, where big groups gather. Really think about your small group. That's probably more what it looked like was 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 believers gathering in a, in a large home, um, kind of packed together. Usually what would happen is someone would teach, there would be prayer, there would be singing. Uh, there would always, almost always be a meal. 
And in the midst of that meal, there would be a time where they would say, okay, you know, now let's observe the Lord's Supper. And they would take bread and they would, you know, pass it and they would break it and they would, they would eat it. And so, so that's usually the way that a worship service happened. But what was happening in Corinth was um, they would say, all right, we're meeting in Bonnie and Kenny's at 6 o'clock, you know. And so we'd be like, great, that's where church is at tonight. We're going to Bonnie and Kenny's at 6 o'clock. And so my family, you know, Em and I and the five kids, we'd show up there at 6 o'clock. And man, there'd be a commotion going on, you know. All kinds of cars there already. There'd be a big commotion. We'd come in. Man, there's dishes everywhere, you know. I mean, Fred's already sitting back like this in his chair. You know, Shelby's back there. They done ate, you know, half a pig, you know. And, and, they, and they've all gorged themselves. And there's dishes everywhere. And all the food is gone. And they're like, oh, yes, Dirk's family. Come on in. Come on in, guys. You guys sit over here. Sit right here in the back, you know. They're like, we're glad you made it in time for communion. Now go ahead and pass out the bread and the, and the elements and, and have the, the communion time. And then we go. Now, what's happening there? Well, we, we've been discriminated against, right? I mean, we, we've been separated. The, the, the church is saying, well, you know, the, the real action is here for these folks, you know. But you, you and your, your five kids, you guys come later on, you know. And, and we won't tell you when, when the rest of us are meeting. But you guys come later on and, and, and then we'll just have you partake of, of communion with us. And Paul says, look, you, 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 have, you have harmed the church. In fact, in verse 17, he says this. He says, when you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. You know, church ought to be a place where you come. We ought to come and gather this morning and we ought to leave better, right? We ought to leave edified. We ought to leave built up. But, but they were coming together and it was worse off, okay, for everybody. I mean, their spiritual life was going down the tubes instead of going up because of the way that they were treating each other, because of the divisions. Notice that in verse 18. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, this has been a problem all through this letter, hadn't it? We started out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talking about divisions in the church, talking about these little pockets of people who are kind of, we're better than everybody else. We're, we're more spiritual than you. We're we're this, we're that. We don't care about this group. We don't care about these people. We're not going to minister to them. And, and so there's neglect, there's shunning, there's pride, there's superiority, there's selfishness, there's unforgiveness, there's broken relationships. There, there's a church that, that, that is not loving each other as the church. Okay? Let's think about our definition of the church. The church is not a building. Okay? The church is not a building. The church is the people of God. The church is you guys. You being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're the church. We're the church. Okay? And, 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 and so we cannot despise one another. Whenever our hearts are wrong between each other, then you know what? They're wrong between God. Isn't that what John said? John said you can't hate your brother and say you love God. You can't pull that off. You can't pull those two things off at the same time. And you can't say, I want Jesus, but I don't like his wife. There's a big movement in our day that says, I want Jesus, but not organized religion. How do you pull that off? How do you pull off? I want Jesus, but I don't care about the people of God. I'm not going to minister to him. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to be patient with him. I'm not going to live in harmony with him. I'm not going to be a part of the church. I just want my relationship with Jesus. That's what these folks were saying. They're saying, we don't really care about the rest of the church. We don't even like those folks. We, it's just us and Jesus and our little group. Okay, and, and Paul is saying no. Paul is saying in doing so, you are partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That's what verse 27 says. He says, therefore, he who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what does that mean to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Now, I want to be real clear here because I think people have misunderstood this verse. 
Whenever we have communion, we always tell people, if you don't feel like you should partake, that's fine. You, 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 that's okay. You don't need to. Just pass the plate on by. And lots of people have done that. But you know what some people have told me afterward? They say, yeah, I didn't partake of communion because I just, I just didn't, you know, I felt like I'd, I'd sinned this week, you know, and, and I didn't want to partake. Okay, name the week where you didn't sin, okay? That's what I want to know. You sinned this week? Great. You really need to partake of communion. Okay, you say, well, I sinned this morning. You get the thing in your hand, okay? Because you need to come to Jesus. You, you need to confess your sin. Right now, as you have the elements in your hand, you need to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I blew it this morning. I yelled at the kids. God, I shouldn't have. That was wrong. That was sin. And now I partake of the body and blood of Jesus. And I look to Jesus as my forgiveness of sin to cleanse me from my guilt. Folks, sinners are people who need communion, Okay. And so when you hear that, that these folks that took communion in an unworthy manner, don't hear. Here's what some people say. I must be worthy. You're not worthy. Jesus is worthy. That's why we have communion. That's why he died for our sins. So it doesn't mean that, okay? Now, what it does mean, however, is that you shouldn't hold the elements in one hand, okay? Here's what it means. You should not hold the elements in one hand and hold on to your sin in the other. See, that's what was happening. These folks were sinning. They were sinning in their hearts. They were sinning in, in, in their minds. They were sinning in their actions. And they had a hold of it in one hand. And there was no confession of sin. There was no repentance of sin. There was no making things right. There was just sin in one hand and the body and blood of Jesus in the other. And Paul says, man, you're partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. Notice what he says in verse 29. If anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. That's an interesting phrase. Without discerning the body. Now, immediately you might be thinking, well, what Paul's saying is I need to, I need to examine myself. And he is saying that. And he said, but he says that in the next verse. Or in the previous verse. Okay? But I think when he says discerning the body, you know what I think? I think he says discerning my other brothers and sisters. The body of Christ. The church. Now, why do I think that? Well... 10 verse, chapter 10, verse 17, the chapter previous to this, says there is one bread and we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Okay, and then in chapter 12, the next chapter, the whole thing is about the body of Christ. So you know what I think, I think Paul's saying? I think he says, when, when I go to take communion, one of the things I need to do is, I, okay, God, am I right with you? Is there anything here that you, Lord, I need to confess to you, that I need to get right with you, that I need to let go of, that I need to embrace? And God, is there anything between me and my brother? Is there anything between me and, and Ron and me and Donnie and me and Bonnie and me and Michelle? God, is there anything here? God, have I, have, I, have I sinned against someone? Do I have a broken relationship? Is there something I need to clean up? Is there something I need to confess? God, is there something between my brother and sister that I need to get right with God? Because you've told me that I can't be right with you if I'm wrong with my brother. And so the overall thrust of this passage is, how can you act this way in view of the cross? Okay, because that's what we're doing. When, when we're partaking of communion, we are, we are focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. So how can we have the body and blood of Jesus in one hand and sin in the other that we will not let go of? There's an interesting passage in First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 2. I want to draw your attention to. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10 says... Anyone whom you forgive, Paul is urging them to forgive. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What have I forgiven if I have forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ? Did you hear that? In the presence of Christ. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying when you forgive or when you don't forgive, you've got to remember you're doing so with Jesus standing right there. Now, why is he standing right there? Well, theologically, what do we know? 
The Holy Spirit lives in me. I can't ever get away from Jesus, okay? You know, I, I can't go in my closet and pummel somebody and come out and say, nothing happened, Jesus. You didn't see anything, did you? That's silly. I'm always in the presence of Christ. But I am especially in the presence of Christ when I am holding the symbol of his broken body and his shed blood. And so Paul says, look, you, 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 can't, you can't sin this way in the presence of Jesus. You know what that's like? That's like, that's like having somebody who is, who is invested in your life, been gracious to you, been good to you, they've been generous to you, and then you kick their kid right in front of them. Well, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, who would do that? Who would do that right in front of them? Well, that's what you do when, when you're wrong with your brother in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you know what Paul calls that? He says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Look at verse uh, 27. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, the Bible says, hear this out. This is it's very important. The Bible says, when, when, you, when you refuse to repent and you have sin against your brother or sister in Christ and you partake of communion, you are profaning. That's a, that's, a, that's a serious word, isn't it? The body and the blood of Christ. Now, some of you, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, man, I'm glad I'm not Catholic. Okay, because if I was Catholic, I'd believe that that's really the flesh of Jesus and that's really the blood of Jesus. Phew, I'm glad I'm just a Baptist because we just believe it's a symbol. That doesn't make it any better. Symbols are powerful. Somebody got a picture, like a picture of somebody, like a photo, class photo. Picture your kid, like actually a paper picture. Nobody has anything like that. Everybody just has it on your phone. Anybody have anything like that? Monica's got one. Here we go. We've got a volunteer. Okay. Who you got here? Who is this? This is Eric. You guys know Eric, don't you? He's always here. Little cute Eric. Little boys with Monica, her son. Man, he's just a pray. He's a sharp dresser, too. Have you noticed that? Okay. So this is a picture of, of Eric, okay? Now, this is not Eric, right? We agree with that, right? He's probably in the nursery or with his dad. or he's not. He, this is not him. This is, a, this is a symbolic picture, okay? This is just a piece of paper, okay? But what if I was up here and what if I took out my pen and I started bashing out little Eric's eyes? Okay? Does that matter? <coughs> That's not a nice thing to do, is it? No, it's, it's not a nice thing to do. You know why? This is just a piece of paper, but it represents somebody, doesn't it? There was a time we had a bunch of our youth pictures on the, uh, on the bulletin board. And uh, somebody, I don't know who it was, if you're here today, you need to repent. They went and they, they poked out all their eyes. Remember that, Michelle? They poked out all their eyes with tacks and stuff. Some of those kids were really hurt, you know? It was just their picture. It wasn't them. They didn't get their own eyes poked out. Just, but it's just a symbol. Do symbols matter? This is a piece of cloth. That's all it is. It's a piece of cloth that's been stitched together, Right? So does it matter if I throw it on the ground and step on it? Yeah. Soldier, come up and break my neck right here. <laughs> you know why? That's not just a piece of cloth. That represents the United States of America. Okay. That's, that's bread and juice. It represents the body and blood of Jesus. So when you have that in your hand, 
Listen, when you have that in your hand, can you hold sin in the other hand? You know what Paul says to do? Man, this is, this is so healthy, okay? You need to be doing this in your Christian life. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, okay? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Why? So that you can be worthy? No, no, you're not worthy already, okay? That's why you need Jesus, okay? But, but we need to examine ourselves so that we're in a right state to embrace the cross, okay? What, what does that mean, examine yourself? Well, a bunch of things, I think. Examine, should you be taking communion? Who takes communion? Believers do, you know? And, and so there, there is a level there where we just need to examine ourselves. Am I taking, you know, should my kids, that, that's always a big step for a parent, isn't it? And, you know, you remember you have little kids and, and they've been sitting in there for an hour and 15 minutes listening to this guy on and on, you know. And finally something exciting happens, you know, juice and crackers, you know. And it comes by and, and so they're like going to dig in, you know, give me five of those, you know. And, and you have to explain to them, you know, well, here, here's what it's about, you know. We only take this when we're born again believers, when we've been baptized and we've shown evidence that, that we're, 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 we're one with Christ. You know, his blood and his, his sacrifice is for us. Okay, so it does mean that. But, but even more, here's what it means. Am I right with Jesus? Do I have sin in my other hand? I'm about to take the body and blood in, in one hand. Do I got sin in this hand? And, and here's what Paul says. He says, judge yourselves. Verse, verse 31, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What does it mean to judge yourself? It means you make a judgment call about your life, okay? You say, you know what? That was sin. That attitude I had all week, that was sin. The way I talked to my wife, that was sin. The way I talked to my husband, that was sin. What I did with, with my friend, that lie I told at work, that, 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 that white lie, that was sin. I am judging myself. I am stepping into the light. What I'm not doing, I'm not drawing a little box around part of my life and saying, God, you, you can confront me on this and this and that's all fine. I'm fine here. But don't you dare talk about, we're not talking about this. That's what a lot of people do. We're not talking about this, God. That's off limits. And I'm going to take the body and blood of Jesus, but you're not touching that. Man, that's a dangerous thing to do. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me, lead me to the way everlasting. You know what the psalmist is asking? He's saying, God, I want you to show me my sin. God, I want you to show me my sin. I'm not trying to ignore it. I'm not trying to run from it. I'm not trying to box off my life and say, God, you, you don't have any part of that. God, I want you to show me. In our Ask Prayer meetings, whenever we have this, we always devote about 10 minutes of time to just walking through, just 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 privately where people are seated. But I just I just stand up here and I say, okay, you know, Lord, you know, show us our sin in this area. Show us our, if we've sinned in our attitude. God, show us if we've sinned in our action. Show us, God, if we have broken relationships. God, show us. God, we want to know. We want to know. Why do we want to know? Because we don't want to live there. We don't want to, we don't want to stay in sin. The, Jesus died for our sins so that we would not stay there. And so, God, if there's something in our hand that shouldn't be there, God, show us that we might give it to you. Understanding that we can't embrace the cross in one hand and sin in the other. Paul says, judge yourself so that we would not be judged. That's interesting, isn't it? If we'll go ahead and deal with our sin, then God won't have to deal with us. How does God deal with us? Well, verse 32. 
When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. We're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the, with the world. You know how God judges? God judges by disciplining us so that we would not be condemned. Okay, that's a good thing, right? Well, what is God doing? God's, God's, God's putting something in our life, either conviction or pain or something, so that something worse doesn't happen, so that we would not be condemned with the world. I mean, that's why you discipline your kids, isn't it? You know, I mean, when, when, when my little toddlers with their old slimy, slobbery hand, when they're going for that light socket, what do I do? I take their hand and I, and I slap it. I inflict a little bit of pain. No, no, you can't put your finger in there. And, and it hurt. But you know what it was? The purpose of it was the purpose is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause a little pain right now. So you don't have a whole bunch of pain later. That's why God disciplines us. That's why God disciplines us. And, and, and so here's what he says. If we judge ourselves, we would not be truly judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we would not be condemned along with the world. Now, how, how is God judging some of these folks? Well, there's conviction of sin, obviously. There's the word of God pointing out their sin, obviously. But look at verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. This is amazing, friends, that God will go to this length. I, I, I see nowhere in the scripture that God doesn't do this anymore. He did it here in Corinth, and so I'm assuming that he still does it today. And, and what, what that passage says is, is that if a man will not let go of sin in one hand while he continues to, to embrace the cross in the other, that God will take that guy out. I mean, isn't that what that just says? That there'll be a time where God just take him out. Not, not out of punishment, out of love. That he may not be condemned with the rest of the world. You know what we believe as Baptists? We believe in something called the perseverance of the saints. And what that means is, is that, that God's, once God's got you, he's taking you all the way. That's evidence of that. God didn't just turn these guys away. God didn't just dump them into hell. God didn't say, well, you, I'm taking your salvation away from you. No, God says, look, if you won't repent, if you will not, if you continue to profane the cross, if you continue not to live in view of the cross, then I'm taking you out to save you. God cares more about your eternal soul than your temporary body. Isn't that something? So what should we do? Well, friends, we should live in view of the cross. Not just once a month when we take of communion. That, that's a constant reminder. That should snap us back into the fact that we live in view of the body and the blood of Jesus. But every day... We should live in view of the cross. And every day we should live discerning the body. Am I right with my brothers and sisters? Am I okay with them? Not our, not our, here, you know, here's what we want to do. We're so twisted. We're, we're so misaligned. You know what we want to do? We want to say, are they right with me? That's right. I mean, that's why we want to look at it, right? We, here, you know, I'm telling you, our sinful nature I bet you there's been somebody in, in one of the three services that has sit through there and amened in their heart saying, God, that person, they're, they're not right with me and take them out, God, take them out. You know, they probably follow, follow you home just seeing God any day, any day, you know, no, are you right with them? And that's just evidence of our twistedness. Are you right with them? And, and are you willing to say, God, I'm not going to toy with you. I, I'm so thankful for the cross that my sins can be forgiven. Oh, listen to this. That my guilt even can be taken away. Is that not beautiful? 
my guilt taken away by the body and blood of Jesus. And God, I'm so overwhelmed with that. I I don't want to hold on to any of my sin. God, I, I give it to you. I confess it. I turn. I embrace the cross. I embrace my brother. No matter how different, how whatever they they are, God, I embrace my brother as the body of Christ. And I don't want to live in my sin. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that brings forgiveness and healing and restoration and life eternal. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you love us enough to discipline us. God, we don't, we don't want to hold on to any sin, God. Right now, Father, we, we want you to reveal. We want you to do this work that the psalmist asked you to do of revealing to us our sin. Oh, God, right now, please show us our sin. Show us. God, show us where we've, we've held on to, to bitterness or unforgiveness or lust or greed or covetousness or anger or pride. God, we, we want to let go of that today. And we want to embrace the body and the blood of Jesus for our sin. You as our King. You as our Lord. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.